Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. All right, what's up, Octavie? This is Stephen, your host with Phantology Podcast. I have my lifelong friend Ryan here with me, and we're talking about The Will of the Many by James Eilington. We talked about this book quite a bit when it came out. I did BookTube, and uh, Ben and I actually interviewed James. So if you want to look into that, you can you know scroll back on our YouTube channel and find that. But we never actually did like a full excursion through the book and talked about what we liked, what we didn't like, if there was anything, you know, theories, et cetera. What do we make of all this? We never did that. And I've always really wanted to. And Ryan has now read the book. So this just seems like perfect opportunity. So we are back to what what is still uh, my favorite book of the year 2023. Uh, well, it's good to be here. I am glad to talk about this book. I heard so much about it, so many good things about it from so many people. A lot of people calling it their favorite book that that has been uh, released in 2023. So I had pretty high expectations going in, and I think for the most part, it met all those expectations. Yeah, honestly, it might have been a little dangerous with you know all of the praise it was getting, 4.7 mm-hmm. out of 5 on Goodreads, everyone like you just universally loves it, expectations for you might have been really high. So I'm glad that they delivered because when I read it, uh, I read it as an arc back in like February or something. And I had no expectations other than I knew that I liked Lycanius by James Islington. So I was hoping his next book would be good. But my expectations were nowhere near as high as probably what yours would have been. Yeah, it it was, I'm, I'm sure my expectations were a little higher. And you know what else raised my expectations were was when I was like, oh, I'm thinking about reading this. And you're like, oh yeah, you should totally read it because I want to reread that book so we can talk about it. I was like, wow, it hasn't even been a year since Steven's read it and he already wants to reread it. So that's a pretty loud endorsement. Yeah, I read it the first time, like the actual book and I had listened the second time and I, I honestly, I enjoyed both ways just the same, but for me, listening to something I've already read is pretty easy because I know that I know what's going to happen. I know I'm not going to miss anything. I don't need to focus too much to pick up on the story. So this was a great opportunity to just kind of get back into something that I loved the first time around. And I liked it just as much the second time. Yeah. Also, if you are listening so far and you haven't gone back and listened to Phantology's uh, interview with James Eilington, I would recommend it. I don't think there are spoilers in that interview. No, yeah. Yeah, I, I just mentioned that real quick, but there are no spoilers. We just talk okay. about, we talked about like Canius maybe a little bit, but we mostly talked about his writing process and what yeah. went into the book and what his plans are for the future a little bit. And 
so yeah, no, no spoilers at all. This was back when it was first coming out. So obviously spoilers would not have been appropriate, but yeah, no, it was, it was a great interview and we were very grateful for James for coming on. And I, I had a great time chatting with him. He seems like a really cool guy. Like I, it was kind of like, if I imagined a member of Phantology had written a book and then was like going around being interviewed. I don't know. That's kind of how I imagine it was real, real cool, suave member of <laughs> the universe. I was going like to say Phantology member <laughs> down to earth, like not intimidating, you know, just just your everyday guy who, yeah. who writes yeah. good books on the side. I think so. I guess he doesn't write them on the side anymore. This is his full time job. Yeah, and before we go any further, let's do a quick break for a little spot from our advertiser. So let's get into it. We've kind of already gushed about the book. Clearly, we liked it. But for those who haven't read yet, what is the story? What makes it work? What can someone expect going into the book? We've obviously said our expectations were really high. So anyone listening is probably going to have the same expectations, but why should they be so high? Well, I, I think and you are you and I are similar in a lot of our interests, and this book had quite a few of those. Mm-hmm. It had like the coming of age aspect a little bit, like um, an, an academy. So, and this, um, you know, I think like a a male protagonist who's like pretty competent good at like overcoming obstacles yeah very competent very very adept at everything (laughs) which i mean maybe even a little too much i I think it might be a little overboard for some people that aspect of it but i i liked it for the most part the two series that um i kind of i felt a lot of similarities to i guess outside of Lycanius, of course, um, were uh, Red Rising, which James actually talks about how he he was partially inspired by Red Rising for this series. And the other one I would say is Name of the Wind. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, this is like a, a mashup of those yeah. two series books. Like it has all of the same elements. It's got the first person narrative coming of age mm-hmm. main character is really down on his luck at first kind of comes into his own very very adept at everything very fast paced that's more that's gonna be on the red rising side than the name of the wind side but we still get like just kind of some slice of life stuff throughout the academy that i really enjoy there's some magic there's a magic system it's very similar to i mean it's not exactly the same as name of the wind but it's kind of you know it's like a physics based magic system almost it's kind of similar to the warbreaker magic you know where everyone has like breaths that they can oh yeah yeah seed and then you know you uh-huh. kind of power up by you know using i didn't think and about then that. the whole roman setting is obviously very red rising-esque although this is not nearly as sci-fi there are some this is like a good mix-up of fantasy and sci-fi where there are some definite science fiction elements but maybe more like couched in a fantastical mm-hmm. land. Yeah. So I I, I kind of knew all of that going into the book. I think it, it it's good because you and I, I think, would enjoy this book the most out of 
all of the members of Phantology. I think this is kind of yeah. like more our genre. See, I I can't imagine or I could imagine Jake kind of being frustrated by the main character at parts. But I don't know. I mean, how would you say this compares to Lycanius? Oh, it's better than Lycanius for sure. I mean, Lycanius is good, but... I mean, excluding like the quality of the writing, I, I guess I'm what I'm what I'm trying to or what I'm thinking of is I felt like Lycanius was a bit more there were a lot more like complicated uh plot developments and maybe this will get into it I think it's kind of hinted at at some uh mm-hmm. definitely more um Lycanius-esque uh plot lines towards the end of the book but I didn't really notice that through the vast majority of it yeah it's it is a more straightforward story. And I think part of that is it's a first person narrative. So it's really just a zoomed in focus on Viz and his experiences here. There are certainly some, you know, th- there there are some plots that are going on in the background. And I think that really makes the book work really well because the tension through every scene is just so high because you never know who you can trust. Viz is always, you know, hiding one of his like three different uh, loyalties from whatever faction he's trying to deal with. And, you know, being tugged so many different ways, you just like feel the tension in everything that he says. And I think the present tense really works for this book because that allows, that allows us to follow Viz in a believable way where if it was past tense, you would be like, it would just feel like he should have already known how everything was playing out. But as you, with, with the present tense, it really speeds up what's going on and it puts you in his shoes more. And so you feel that, you know, you feel what he's feeling, essentially. Okay. I don't know if I really answered your Lycanius question. I just kind of went back to what makes this one work. But, and honestly, I don't remember too well Lycanius other than I just felt like it was a little more straightforward epic fantasy until it got into some twists for sure. And there's... There's probably some elements to this. Like at the end, we get into some that the really big twist that we'll talk about later. So then maybe it is more similar to the first book. I'm struggling to remember exactly like where different events happen in which book in Lycanius because it's been a few years. Mm -hmm. So I guess what what you were saying is though like Lycanius does start off fairly simply as well or, or straightforward. And I think it's at the end of book one that there's like a major twist revealed that that kind of puts you through a loop as a reader. Right. I think about halfway through the first like heinous book, you start to get a sense of there's this more complicated science fiction type idea that's really going to be important for the story. And we don't really get that in this book until the very end. So it's a little different in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed both. I think I'm more excited for the Hierarchy series. I think that this has a real chance to be a series that people talk about for years to come and becomes like a real kind of staple of the genre. Like if he continues with the quality of this first book, it could really be something. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm excited to to see how it develops and continues. I'm just not looking forward to waiting now. Yeah, I don't think you're going to... I don't remember what the you know release target is. It's probably about... A year away or so but I, th- I need to check his blog again he he does like 
quick updates in his blog every three or four months or something. And okay. I know that at the time that I was reading The Will of the Many, he'd already made a lot of progress on book two, which is called The Strength of the Few. Pretty sure that's yeah. the title of the second book. Mm-hmm. So it may be like ready to go at this point, getting pretty close to all the publication timelines and all that. Hopefully, I mean, I would assume next year. Let's hope so. For my but sake. yeah, obviously this business, you know, you never want to, you never want to bank too much on uh, books mm-hmm. coming out when you when you want them to. <laughs> I know that's uh, that's one of the tough things uh, about reading a series from the first book when it comes out. You kind of have to wait for each book. Yeah. Although yeah, as I've sure. as I've gotten older, I think that that has gotten a bit easier. And at this point, we've read so many books. Like I have, what, five, six, seven series that I really like that I'm just waiting for the next book to come out. So there's mm-hmm. always several books a year that you can pick up, you know, and resume the series. That honestly, the most challenging part is just remembering what happened in the previous book. Yeah. Especially with these big epic fantasies and stuff. I'm curious what, before we get into spoilers, was there anything about this book that you didn't like or you think would be kind of a turnoff to to certain readers? Honestly, it sounds kind of weird, but my least favorite part of the book is like the main plot, <laughs> which, it, and when I say least favorite, like I didn't dislike it, but I just liked everything else more. So sometimes I was reading and I would more enjoy what was going on and kind of like the day-to-day of what Viz yeah. was doing. And then the main plot would step in and it'd be like, all right, I guess we got to go do the important thing now. Like. <laughs> I would much rather just kind of hang out and enjoy life. Do you mean like the overall politics of the world? More so his investigation into the secretive thing that is going on. And then, you know, the reveal at the end that things are much more complicated than they they seem. Like at this point, if I have to rank the things that I enjoyed, that's probably towards the bottom, which is strange because it's the most important thing in terms of plots. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I I actually really like that part. So I think that maybe it's just a taste thing. Yeah, and I didn't dislike it. I, I don't think it was poorly done at all. I just enjoyed his friendships and mm-hmm. kind of some of the minor struggles that he gets into so much that, you know, I, I wanted to just continue on those things rather than, you know, move forward. And maybe part of it is because I just, I know that once they go into the main plot, like they're, they're going to be leaving behind what's been, you know, what's already established the things that I love because it's, it's so fast paced that very quickly those relationships and those, uh, I guess those, those minor plot points are now kind of in the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we should rank this out of 10. I don't know. Before we get into spoilers, what do you think? Sure. I don't remember what I gave it in my booktube video, but it's like a nine out of 10. Or... Oh, wow. That's really good. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. Maybe, I don't know. I, you can't give anything a 10 out of 10. It's just like not even possible, right? I'm debating I mean, a nine or a, a nine think, or a nine and a half. <laughs> I think you could give a book a 10 out of 10. I think maybe the 10 out of 10 would be like your favorite book of all time. Okay. So for me, Name of the Wind gets 10 out of 10. Okay. So that that's pretty good. So nine out of 10 for me, I think, I think I would probably give it an eight out of 10. I liked, I I liked it a lot. (laughs) 
I think an eight's a good score. So last, my most recent review with Jake, I gave Dark Age an eight and a half out of 10. And so I'm kind of like in my mind, that's like the most mm. recent benchmark for me. And okay. I don't think it was quite as like riveting as Dark Age for me, but there were a lot of parts of it that maybe I liked more than Dark Age. I don't know. Maybe I'd give it like an 8.25 out of 10. Mm. So just Dark Age, min- Dark Age minus whatever, you know, tiny infinitesimal amount in order to yeah. rank them. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Mm. I have not yet read uh, the second Red Rising grouping, so... I cannot compare to those books, but this, I mean, if the hierarchy continues, if it continues to be strong and the books come out at a pretty brisk pace, which I think they will, because, you know, James is still a younger author. He's not nearly as established as some of our slower authors that are, you know, we're hoping for works a little bit quicker. Anyway, he, and he's shown that, you know, he's going to pump out stuff pretty quickly. He's written four really big books in Lycania. So I, I don't imagine we're going to be waiting too long. And anyway, what I'm trying to say is if this finishes up, then this has a definite chance to get into my top five of all time. I think so too. And I actually just rearranged my top five because I added the Greenbone Saga by Fonda oh, Lee into my top wow. five. wow. That's in your yeah. top five. What did it bump out? It came in at number four and uh, Mistborn was number five. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if I had like a an established top five before. Okay. I decided to say that uh, the Jade books were in my top five. So my my top five was Stormlight, Wheel of Time, First Law, and then then the Greenbone, and then Mistborn. Okay. And I feel like Song of Ice and Fire should be in there somewhere, but I don't know. Maybe if it ever finishes, I'll, I'll add it. That's a tough Your one. Your top five probably changes depending on what you've read recently. And yeah. it's been a while since you've read a Song of Ice and Fire. It's been a very long time. Anyway, okay, let's get into spoilers now. So if you haven't read the book yet, obviously we recommend it wholeheartedly. Go do it. Okay, so should we just say, uh, like, what's what's top of your mind? You just finished not too long ago. I finished my reread earlier this morning. So what's, like, the main thing that you want to discuss right now? We've already kind of talked a little bit about it, but the ending reminded me so much of, like, Hanius with the kind of, it's like, Basically, he like copies himself into like different realities there at mm. the end, which is, you know, mind blowing. It does it, it does seem to be kind of similar in um, or or I guess more of a common theme in just fiction recently. I, I'm thinking of like the most recent like uh, or Avengers like Endgame. And I just literally watched today spider-man across the multiverse whatever that one into the multiverse but number two right the anime oh yeah number two is that into the multiverse into the spider-verse oh yeah spider-verse yeah 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 yeah. right so i feel like i feel like this is kind of becoming like not overdone but popular right now but it mm-hmm. does seem like a unique take on it. And I'm really excited to see where it leads. But it it did remind me a lot of Lycanius where you have like this different different aspects of time traveling and like characters not remembering, like having large portions of their memory erased, things right. like that. Right. Well, honestly, one of the more earlier you asked me what things I didn't like and one of the more frustrating things for me 
in the book and in, in the first time and in my reread was I just don't feel like there's enough hints to really form too much of an educated guess as to what's going on. Like we get it at a surface level. There's the three different realities. There's Obatium, Lucium, I think is the second one. And Res is like the real world. Uh-huh. And so now there's three copies of him. We saw that in the synchronization thing at the very end. Seror is still alive in one of them. Or maybe he's like totally there and he never actually died. That's kind of what I think. So yeah, it's not clear. Viridius, Viridius just said, oh yeah, he he committed suicide because he had no body to show anyone because he just like fully went into Obatium or whichever one he was in. Something like that. Like, you, you, sure, you could form a, a, a few theories as to what's going on, but there's just not enough to really understand too much, which is a little frustrating. Okay, so you think that there should be some some more hints like breadcrumbs that you could maybe a trail you yeah. could put things together yeah. on your own. Well, not completely, but I don't know. I feel like with fantasy, everyone loves to talk about, you know, theory crafting, et cetera. Like Stormlight Archive, yeah. there's a billion different theories as to what's happening next. And I'm sure there are theories. And I and obviously we could sit down and talk about some, but mm-hmm. I ha- I don't feel like you can really go super deep with the information we've been given so far. Yeah, it's there's not enough evidence to really come up with solid theories. I think that right. given what we have, any theories we come up would be, you know, there would be a lot of conjecture involved in how we put them together and what we come up with. Which is obviously what most theories end up being, but I, I mean, we would, the, have a, hard, plus, we would have a hard time like pinning down data points to support a theory other than just like, Oh, what if it's this? That would be cool. I feel like the R plus L equals J theory from A Song of Ice and Fire is like Mm -hmm. a good example of something that you could put together a very convincing argument of it. And it's to the point where it's like, you know, almost inevitable that it happened right before before the show came out and kind of like verified that it was true. It, It seemed like very credible but it was also something that if i hadn't have read the theory for it i don't think i would have guessed it on my own yeah totally totally there are enough in yeah in uh the song of ice and fire there are enough little hints that you could put that together but maybe i'm completely blind here but i i mean on my reread i was looking for stuff looking for anything to maybe come up mm-hmm. with some idea of what's going on and other than surface level, but you know, we've only got one book. And so maybe as we get into book two, we'll be able yeah. to get some more data points around and come up with some interesting theories for book three. Mm-hmm. Debut novel, or I guess a debut novel in a new trilogy, not necessarily the debut novel of the author, but right there is a lot to the world. Yeah. And I, I do think that as you get kind of more data points in a, in a new book, it'll be easier to, theory craft it it does bring me to one of my this isn't a criticism by any means but after i read the book i was looking like on reddit and trying to find like what other people thought and it's because this is a relatively like unknown author compared to some of the other series that we read and so there just isn't quite like the same fandom 
to support it to support all those Mm -hmm. theories and discussion and so it's it's made me realize like how spoiled I am when I read you know something Cosmere related where there's like very intelligent people who know the Cosmere very well and can say like oh there is this part this part and this part that all point towards this and this and this and I'm like oh wow that that's like cool I totally missed that so but I mean maybe some people like that I don't know it's you can discover it on your own. You could still do that with the Cosmere. You just don't read what other people say. Anyways, that was that was one kind of experience I had when I finished the book. In my desperation to try and find more content in this world. Right. You know, I was right. like, what do other people think? Like, what am I missing here? Well, hopefully as more books come out and, and James kind of grows a bigger following. I mean, when The Wave Kings came out, they're... I don't even know if Reddit was a thing back then uh, or nearly as big. It was like 2011. It yeah. probably was, but no, it wasn't. Yeah. It definitely wasn't. Yeah. I'm sure there were not nearly as many you know, people that had read it and even cared to talk about it. But now 12 years later, it's like the biggest thing in fantasy. Mm-hmm. So that said, <laughs> are there any theories or, or what, are you, what are you thinking about some of this stuff? Like how does Lanistia fit into all of this, I, I guess we would assume that she must have ran the labyrinth as well. Her memory was erased. She lost her eyes and, but, but for some reason did not go into Obatium, like did not go into the next realm. That's, I guess what could have happened. Like her and Seror went through together maybe, and he did, but she didn't. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily clear. Like those people who kind of guide this at the beginning of the labyrinth Mm -hmm. and then like end up you know sacrificing themselves to demonstrate like the the wraiths or the remnants right it it seems like something similar maybe happened to her like maybe there somehow she created like multiple copies of her but failed to synchronize the copies so maybe there is still like a copy of her waiting its turn to guide somebody in in the maze i don't know because those those didn't they didn't seem like they were alive yeah because this was asking those, them like those guides like that could have been an opportunity to provide some hints in what they said but i didn't i didn't see anything when i reread it it just seemed like they were i kind kept of vaguely thinking, talking about the cataclysm i kept thinking that sea roar was gonna end up being one of them who came mm. up and that was like that how this was gonna be like oh my gosh like this is what mm-hmm. happened to him. I th- I mean, there's gonna there's gonna be more to it, right? I, I think somehow that's related to Lanistia. I I mean, when I first began the book, I thought that Lanistia had something to do with Ciro's disappearance, and that she was kind of like faking the fact that she lost her memory. But I mean, as I went on, that theory lost credibility in my mind based on the fact that she was being very helpful towards getting like mm-hmm. this prepared for the academy. Whereas mm-hmm. if if she did have something to do with it, you'd think she would trying to be hinder Viss's investigation. Right. What do you think of Viridius by the end? Like, it seems like what we're supposed to think is that old key score, right? Old key score. I think that's how you say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was really just wrong the whole time, and yeah. you know, Viridius. Well, well, Viridius doesn't exactly have everyone's you know best uh, interest in mind. 
he seems pretty obsessed on these ruins and figuring out what's going on there and like stopping another cataclysm, which I'm not really mm-hmm. sure what to make of that. But it seems like all key score was just wrong the whole time. And yeah. really Viridius kind of just knew way more and was, you know, had nothing to do with Seor dying, at least not like antagonistically. Yeah, I think that Viridius is going to turn out or, or he he has been a little bit more benevolent than Olkiskor made him out to this, mm-hmm. like made him appear. I, I think he actually is. I think he is basically what he appears. Like, I know he's hiding a lot, but I think for the most part, he wants... We, like, we have a good best. idea at this point. Yeah. And he's... Although people are disappearing, it's... I think that he genuinely is, like, sad for like the sacrifice people have to make running the labyrinth, mm-hmm. but knows that it's, I guess the ends justify the means in this situation. Yeah. My question, my follow-up question to that is, do you think like Olkiskor is quite a bit worse than we initially thought? Because like his last interaction with this was basically like, yeah. you have to do this. Like you have to try and run the labyrinth. Yeah. Like that, even yeah. if it kills you, like that's, that's what you said you would do for me. I feel like he has definite potential to turn into a full-on villain as the story progresses. And we know that military is behind like the Anguis attacking the mm-hmm. the academy. So I don't think Olkiskor knew about it. I, I don't think so either. Like he wasn't part of those meetings. And honestly, when they were at Zeus for that little convention, it seemed like Olkiskor was kind of just a crony almost like he's yeah he's fairly low down in terms of like he is what uh, he's a sextus is that he's a quintus quintus yeah Magnus. so he's still like up there but compared to the real you know those that really have power he's not there's still like four levels ahead of him right you have the cortus tertius domidius and the the print the princeps is at the top right and then domidius which is what uh, Indol's father is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's not as important as... I mean, I guess from Viss's perspective, he's very important when he meets him because he hasn't met Quintus before, but still, mm-hmm. he's he's not as important to the larger goings-on yeah. going of the Empire. I think both Okiskor and Verdius's characters were done pretty well where... Throughout the whole book, you never really knew how much you should be trusting them. And as time went on, we kind of revealed different realities around them that, that that was well done. The most interesting character, or maybe not the most interesting, but the one that I was frequently thinking about as I was reading was okay. Amisa. And <laughs> it was it was Thought mainly so. because... She's too it, beautiful, huh? <laughs> she's so beautiful. It was mainly because she was she's a third and she immediately takes an interest in this and is like, you know, helping him as he's mucking out the stables and right. Like giving him tips, helping him train for like to advance and Mm -hmm. like, what is her motivation? And we still don't really know at the end of the book, we know that she's probably like on Viridius's team because she knew about the tainted blood, but was it Viridius who told her to, get close to this that's my assumption i don't i don't know if there's any way 
that we could really know more. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything in my reread because I was interested in that. Cause yeah, it's like really sus that she's yeah. super into this right away, mm-hmm. but in like, you know, not overbearing, just in kind of a, in a flirtatious tempting way, you know, that made her, a, I don't know. A real, she was a real target of interest. <laughs> she was like, asking him she's like we could go to this lagoon together at night it's very yeah yeah, for sure very she she ramped it up a lot once they went to sue's yeah i was kind of like what's going on here what's her what's her motive Mm -hmm. which i love the part where him and Aiden are talking in chimeric or whatever that language is and and they don't realize that she can speak it as well oh yeah they're talking yeah. about her. That was a good part. That got me laughing. <laughs> I, I I kind of like figured that was going to happen. You know, it, it seems like yeah. a, a little bit of a trope where you're like talking about somebody um, like in a different mm-hmm. language and then it turns out they know the language. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, once when they when they finally get together, when they finally kiss, right, doesn't she say something like, oh, finally, which makes you think like, well, you know, maybe she's just really into him. And so she's like, oh, finally, you know, we're getting together. But also like, it does seem like there's some additional motivation for her to get close to him. Yeah. And before the Eudikiem, she like pulls this aside and she's like, we're both going to try our hardest to win, but like, no matter what, we can't let it change what happens between us. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm struggling to think like is this because she legitimately has like feelings for this or because there's like something greater like some greater mission that she has that she knows she can't alienate this i don't know mm. i feel i feel like she has genuine feelings for him by the end of the book like yeah it, it's, it's it's like a situation where it's like a it's almost like a chuck situation ryan to get to another cheesy romance that we like right uh-huh. like chuck and sarah get together at first it's just a mission for her and then eventually she comes to have real feelings for the little doofus right <laughs> yeah but usually it's like i don't know the way that she like kind of brought that up it seemed like she was almost in love with this which i don't i'm i'm not like an expert on romance but i didn't feel like their relationship was at the point where like mm. they loved each other that deeply that like she couldn't bear for their relationship to be severed. Yeah, they are only like 17 because he turns 18 on the last day. So it is very much a, a teen romance, which, you know, tend to run hot and passionate <laughs> and then true. flame out. So we'll see what happens here. I think this has good setup. And I really, I like what he did, what Eilington did with her character because she's not just a love interest. Like, we just spent five minutes discussing what other motivations she has. And she's just like, she's a super accomplished character in her own right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really well done. Yeah. I think the, the pitfall that a lot of male authors can, can fall into is they make like female characters who can't really stand on their own without the protagonist. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you justify them being there except to like move the plot forward or like the romance forward right and i think she you know she is there like she can stand up on her own right so my favorite part of the whole book was the little vacation in seuss and Mm -hmm. the reason why was just the like the emotions of it i I felt like it was 
really well done and really struck home. Like as he was getting off the boat and seeing his hometown again and her homeland again, right? Just I, I feel like I was totally there for that. And when he has his little clandestine meeting with the former advisor, I don't remember his name, and they like go through their old stuff and it just, yeah, there's so much heart in those scenes. I, I really loved it. And yeah. I, it like, it was almost like Viz really needed that. And the book really needed that because he had just been so beaten down and he was almost losing his identity. And so giving him the opportunity to go back home really kind of centered him and progresses his character arc. And I thought that was brilliant, brilliantly done. I was there for all of that. I felt like the, you know, this book has excellent emotional payoffs and I really enjoyed it. And the end of it was kind of touching too, where he talks about leaving and he says like the first time he left Seuss, he was basically like fleeing for his life. Mm-hmm. But this time it felt much more like he was saying goodbye. And I thought that was kind of like a little touching, you know, he was, he's like finally gotten to the point where he, you know, is able to, I guess, get some, some sense of closure with his past yeah so that he can like move forward with his future not that i think the storyline is done right right no i'm i'm really looking forward to whenever the big moment comes where everyone realizes who he is and it mm-hmm. destroys everything right like that's yeah. it's totally setting up for that and in, in, in a very similar way to uh what red rising does yeah yeah I'm, I'm assuming that will happen somehow not that I'm looking forward to seeing that happen because that's going to be terrible, but I think it could be done really well. It has an excellent potential. It's Yeah, it's going to be terrible for this in the moment, but it'll be a fun read, fun to read. What do you think is uh, going on with Indel? Like Viz well, kind of blackmails him with, you know, saying, I know your secret, whatever. And he's like, oh, crap. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that because later on, Indel's like, how did you know that? Mm-hmm. And this was like, wait, I thought he knew that I knew that. I right. mean, we we later hear that or he this kind of like thinks that Amisa didn't learn it directly from Indel. Amisa learned it from Viridius, who learned it from Indel. That's what I would assume. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we know that Indel and hates his father. And maybe that was kind of his motivation to turn to Viridius and decide to join religion but what do you think was the secret like what was indel thinking that viz knew because clearly it was not the that he was defecting uh that's a good question i i didn't i hadn't even thought of that maybe it has something to do with no i feel like i I know i was curious i I was curious if you had i think he's gay i think that's the the whole thing because it's it's mentioned that homosexuality is frowned upon in the empire. And there's a line where when Belly's trying to get with Indol and Viz asks Amissa, like, could, you know, is that going to happen? And Amissa's like, no, trust me. So I feel like she I, knows. I do remember that line. I do remember that. I, I didn't put it together, though. I think you're right, though. I think he'll be a good character going forward, too, because he knows Viz's identity. So that's going to, I mean... That's really important. He's definitely going to stick around somehow. Wait, Indol knows Viz's identity? Yeah. Well, okay, he doesn't know no. that he was the prince, but he knows he that knows he has some from, connection. He's from Seuss. To Seuss, yeah. 
So I yeah. feel like, honestly, I don't know why he didn't put it together more. Maybe he's just not familiar. Maybe they, in like the actual Katenin history or whatever, they don't even mention that Viz survived. They just say, you know, the whole family was killed. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. But I think eventually he's going to figure that out. Wouldn't, wouldn't they like know, though, that they had killed the whole royal family, but like one son wasn't accounted for? I feel like they would know, but they're probably not going to broadcast that, right? But I mean, wouldn't like this, this orphan who came from nowhere, wouldn't like somebody be able to put that together? Oh, possibly. But what what I'm saying is I, I think it's probably like hush hush where only those who are like directly involved in taking Seuss actually knew that. Like, however, the empire right. spreads their information. They were just like, yeah, we got them all. Right. So wouldn't Indol's father, wasn't he part of like the attack party? Yeah, so Indol's father would be like someone who should know, right? Yeah. Wouldn't he be able to put, maybe he will put it together in the future. He could. But honestly, they, I mean, they probably don't even think that that was too important. You know, just one long lost prince for yeah. an island, like a small island that no one really seems to care about. They don't even use the will there. Yeah. What do you think? Not now I'm trying to come up with things. What do you think Aiden was promised that made him not want to go into the Edekium? Oh, that is another good question. Because he tells this, you know, I trust you. He tells him his backstory with his, uh, you know, like with his mountain tribe, right? And he goes through all that and he says, I can't go with you because if I went with you, the trust we had would not, you know, we would not be able to maintain that and i assume it was because he was promised something pretty awesome to the point where he, he would, would have, have to go to betray he would yeah he would have to go for whatever reward he was promised i mean maybe... i'm assuming it has to do with his family right because that's why he would bring it up to viz kind of yeah. as saying like look this is my ultimate th- this is what i care about the most so was it the survivors of the clan are now like part of his dad or like work under his dad i'm trying to remember exactly what the deal was that i think it was kind of like it was kind of like the same deal that was struck with uh the advisor from seuss right like he became a sextus and had you know little local control over the clan but i think they took aiden as essentially like a, a hostage to make sure that he behaved i mean would it be too much to promise him that if if he won, they would like kind of honor the sovereignty of his clan. It'd be that seems like a lot for religion to be able to. I know throw that's around, what I'm saying. Is it too maybe? much? Is that too much? Like, does Viridius even have the power to promise that? I don't know. Calidus was promised that he'd be Domitor, so that seems like really within what the school could do. It seems like what they would promise everybody, right? It's like, if you win <laughs> yeah. this, you'll be Domitor. Yeah. Unless they probably have dirt on a lot of people in there, you know, I yeah. I don't think they ever said what uh, Equa was promised, but whatever it was, didn't seem to be good enough for her to go for it. Equa was an interesting character. I wasn't sure if she was going to turn into an adversary for this, like given the mm-hmm. fact that their fathers uh, are kind of adversaries in their own life, but she was like, for the most part, a pretty good person. Yeah, yeah. For sure, like through the middle of the book, she is an adversary, but they're they're kind of frenemies, 
She's like suspicious yeah. of him. She's yeah. not really like an adversary. And, and right, rightfully so. Like, yeah, this is super sus, dude. <laughs> I mean, she's like the smartest person. She's like the only one who's like, hey, there's something strange about this guy. Yeah. And then she just goes down the totally wrong, wrong path. Right. Which reminds me of another thing that we didn't talk about with Amisa is that she was using Will. Yeah. So has she been using Will the whole time at the Academy to get ahead? I don't know. I mean, we know that their eyes go black when they use Will. And obviously Viz had never seen her do that before. So I kind of doubt it. But I guess that's maybe one of the weakness of the book is for all that it's focused on Will. I still don't really understand too much about how it can actually be used. Other than it can do a bunch of cool stuff. I mean they i feel like they haven't really gone into depth too much about it like there's like all the theoretical stuff that this mm-hmm. is learning at school but like outside of like making people like really strong we've seen oki score like basically like blow up a guy's head and mm-hmm. who knows like really how he did that with will um i don't i don't think they've explained it and, i think the problem is viz never uses will so the narrative yeah. is through his eyes it's really hard to get the readers to like totally understand what's going on with something that the, you know, the narrator, the first person character never gets into. Yeah. Did, did this at the end of the story kind of decide that he would, he would sacrifice his like line? Cause that's, he, he, yeah, that's the, I think that's what happened. Yeah. Cause he was like, you know, like the times come, like, I think that was part of his decision to join like the mm-hmm. censor. Yeah. And I think the little vision, whatever happened there with his dad, which seemed like more than a vision, that helped him decide, like his dad coming and telling him, you know, I'm proud of you, made him, you know, because the whole time Viz is doubting himself. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible person here. I'm doing all this stuff that I never yeah. would do. And I'm lying. And my dad always said, you should never lie. And here I am. My whole life is a lie. But then mm-hmm. his dad to come to him and say, you know, I'm proud of you you're doing everything you should and, and you know, you're honorable, whatever it, what it was that he said to him. I think that set him up for like, okay, I feel good about myself where I'm at and yeah. I'm going to follow this course. Yeah. I think that's, I, I didn't pick up on that either. I thought it was just like, oh, this is nice. Like he's somehow getting like a little reunion with his dad, mm-hmm. but I didn't put it together that like, you know, I mean, kind of... Viz's character arc was really good. It went from, you know, it started and it was very symmetrical in the way that it started with him falling and then he was falling off the tower at the end in different circumstances. And I feel like those two events kind of mirrored each other. And he went from totally against the Empire, just trying to scavenge and hide and do whatever he could to eke out a little bit of existence and having this real like almost nihilistic outlook on what was possible for him in life. And then he trusts people a little bit more, but not totally. And so he's like, slowly kind of turning into a different person throughout the entirety of the book. And then I think the ending culmination of, you know, losing people, losing Calidus, who he, you know, is an awesome friend and awesome character. We didn't even talk about him, but then being betrayed by Misa. And then like, this kind of gives him fuel for whatever he's going to go through um, in the next book. Cause he's like, you know, screw all you guys. I'm going to burn this to the ground is kind of what he said, right? As he, one the edicium which was a an awesome scene yeah i i so i really like that part and i thought it was awesome i think that maybe like 
a worst of the best would be that like they didn't i don't think the tension from that situation played out for very long because immediately after that this passes out and then he he like wakes up mm-hmm. in the bed and then Viridius is basically like oh amisa wants to see you and this is like she tried to kill me and he's like no she didn't she thought your blood was tainted like she thought you were like beyond saving mm. i thought that like that mo- like her motivation like if, that, if that was you if that was you you'd be like uh tell me more please <laughs> well that but i think that like it would have been an interesting move from the author to keep us more in suspense of amisa's motivations for killing this there rather than like mm. immediate like this is oh, like sure wow they betrayed me like i'm gonna burn you guys to the ground and then viridius is already like hold up like we're trying to stop a cataclysm amisa only killed you because she thought you were turning evil and whereas i i don't necessarily mm. know how it could have been done but like to keep you in suspense behind with their motivation so this doesn't know yet and so he's kind of like working against them and then somehow it comes out later yeah that I don't know either. I see what you're and, saying though. It just yeah. ends very suddenly. And some of the things that like we just kind of got into of oh crap, Amisa's betrayed us. Uh but okay, okay, like it's actually resolved, kind of. Yeah. Still not okay with it, but at least it's not like totally evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which but and then the book ends like a few pages later after yeah. the whole synchronization thing. It ends a little too abruptly. I like wanted more answers with everything. I was mm-hmm. like so his blood was tainted. Like, what does that mean he's going to become? Is he going to become like one of those people, um, like the zombies with like the obsidian obsidian sword through his chest? Right. It, it was kind of confusing. And the whole Alupi or Alupi, I was yeah. like, it seemed like it was friendlier with him than, you know, maybe more than That's his like, my... single interaction. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's my worst of the best, the Diago Halopai. Because yeah, there was a single interaction and then it gets huge and it's back and it knows him. And it's like the thing that saves the day twice. Yeah. It's it's a little like Deus ex machida yeah. with the you know, that. with the wolf. Yeah. Like Animal Companions are great. We, we like Animal Companions, but at the same time, that one didn't really feel earned as much as it should have <laughs> yeah and it has like there's like something about its healing abilities right because this thinks it's gonna die and then he passes out and then he wakes up and it's kind of like back to normal almost could be and this i don't know what's exactly going on with this either because like he should have died and he falls yeah. i mean i guess he falls into the water but he's stabbed and he's like oh the knife wasn't that big but still i mean it seemed a little fortuitous that he survived all that. Maybe there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things to speculate about. And the whole book. ending part where all of a sudden he has this ability to sense people, which we assume yes. comes from, it seems like everyone gets a superpower once they go through Finish. the synchronization thing. And we, yeah. we saw the the like teleporting dude. And I'm assuming Lenistia's ability to see without her eyes, like... She says she can do it because she's super good with the. It talks about this like she's able to. She focuses with will yeah, and with will, she right? Can, she's kind of like Daredevil, honestly. Yeah, yeah, Daredevil's a good, good analogy. But is that purely just a will thing, or was that her superpower from going through? I don't. Know, that does that does seem a little bit different because 
it seems like the other powers are not will-based. They're kind of this like weird energy that's going on. Yeah. I wonder if Melior also, you know, his his destructive ability at the Nomakia, did that come from the same type of thing? I mean, I doubt he was on the island going through the uh, going through the labyrinth. So maybe there's other ways to access this power as well. Yeah, it's so it seems like there are some members of the Anguis that know about it, or at least there was that one guy who could teleport or go invisible, who mm-hmm. is like telling this that they have more in common than he thinks. So he knows about right. it, but it doesn't seem like uh, Relucia knows about it. Yeah, she also kind of like um, Okiskor, she also seems a little like a little more of a pawn than we initially mm-hmm. think. Yeah. You you brought up the point that uh, she said there's one other person that knows your identity. I wonder if it was that dude, because he seems like he's now in command without Millier there. I don't I don't think it was that guy because he was kind of like surprised to see this or maybe it was but he, he was he surprised was... that this recognized him yeah he was surprised that this recognized him but this was like oh like i know Re... doesn't he say he knows relucia and he's like no that's not what we have in common he's like and basically implying that whatever ability mm-hmm. this has is something that they like so that guy's probably done the labyrinth mm-hmm. as well and he knows that he's gonna lose his arm so it seems like there's always a yeah. physical sacrifice. Although that was interesting because if there's always a physical sacrifice, Viz doesn't really, like that toll doesn't really get taken from him until he gets bitten yeah. on his shoulder, which was like well after he escaped. It seemed like there's another reality where he's able to avoid the zombies entirely and mm-hmm. keep his arm, in which case it's like, well, is there always a physical toll that's taken yeah. from you from going through I it is fun speculating about all of this stuff. Yeah. We need more. I know, right? That's what I was going to say. We, we need the need next more. book. We need another. We need the next two books to come out right now. <laughs> let's let's put in a good word with uh, James. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, if we ask James to finish it up, he'll, that'll really, he'll, you know, light, light a fire rush, under him. <laughs> he'll rush it for us. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's a pretty good talk through. I mean, we didn't get through everything for sure. I feel like the, mm-hmm. the main character that we slided was Calidus because I mentioned that he was awesome and he died and that was heartbreaking. I, I mean, like final final word on the book. Do you wanna do you wanna give a tribute to Calidus? Did did you like him as much as I did? Calidus was a good guy, a good friend, kind of the Cassius mixed with Roke of this book, and he will be missed. I miss him. But sure. his, his death definitely served a purpose because I think that's what pushed this to, to join right. the censor. Right. Yeah. Because Iden comes to him before he decides and he says... Census. Wait, it's the census, I think it's, right? I think... Uh, yeah, but I think the title is censor. Okay. All right. He like runs the census, I think. Okay. But yeah, Iden comes to him and Viz is like, he died in such a pointless way. It didn't mean anything. And I, I, there were a lot of good lines in the book, but one that I really liked here was when I didn't said his death only is only meaningless if we, you know, make it to be something like that. Right. Yeah. If we don't, if we don't like learn from it or if we don't Mm -hmm. learn from him, something along those lines. There was another good line earlier where Rilakia was talking about, I think this was her. She was talking about how all of the Octavi are, you know, really kind of powering this whole thing and and mm-hmm. like 
their reluctance to do anything and become a part of the system is fueling such an evil. I don't remember what the exact line was, but I think I marked that one as well. There's some good uh, philosophical stuff throughout the, the book as well. So my last question, what do you think caused the cataclysms? Well, based off what our uh, sacrificial lambs in the labyrinth were saying, it sounds like this whole synchronization, whatever that is, like bringing together the realms, blew everything up. It says they they failed to synchronize, right? Like they ch- they did, they tried to and they failed? I think so. Mm. So maybe there were like multiple cataclysms every time. So whatever synchronization is, like is Viz now on the path to synchronization because he has the multiple copies of himself in all three realms? Because like we see Seror in one of them, but he's not in all three realms, I don't think. So it seemed like he, whatever Viz did, maybe maybe that was unique in the way that he approached it is now he's in all three of them. He does seem like typical. he might be somewhat synchronized. I mean, if one of them like carves on his arm and then it appears right. on the other Viz's arm. Right. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that seems like that, that moment, that was the most like heinous moment. I agree for sure. Cause I guess we're not going to do spoilers for those books, but in those books, it was, it was time travel, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. kind of the big thing in these books. It's the multiple realms, but you're still dealing with like multiple copies of yourself running around and different things and affecting. Yeah. Yeah. Same type of idea. Okay, I have one more question. I said that my last question <laughs> yeah. was my last question, but this is a good question that Jake actually asked me about this book that I wasn't able to give a good answer for. So maybe you have a good answer for it. Ooh, okay. Lycanius, the trilogy, like the major theme of that trilogy was like predetermined fate versus free will. Yeah. Do you think there is a similarly strong theme in that that you've noticed in this and so far in the hierarchy trilogy yeah i think there is i I might need to think about in order to give a really succinct answer but i think it gets back to what i was talking about earlier with that quote from relukia i feel like the main theme is the whole idea of this empire that's built on the backs of people who are just trying to get ahead but in doing that they are enabling the top of the pyramid. Honestly, it's not too unlike what modern society is like, where all, you know, everyone in the working class is just, you know, working for the weekend, right? And trying to save up enough to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So it's greed is what you're saying? Or are, are you saying it's more like the greed of the few is has kind of like rippled throughout the entire society or are you saying that the inaction of the many is has kind of like enabled this to continue i feel like it's both but i can't like i said i can't do a super succinct answer like pretty well uh free will and and uh determination so let me find i'm gonna try to find that quote now and see if there's a better way to say it because i feel like that really kind of got at the heart of the, the theme yeah all right, well, uh, hopefully you enjoyed this one. I'm glad that we finally got to talk about this in detail. If you have any comments, you can hop on our Discord. Links to that are in the episode description below or just drop a comment on YouTube, whatever. We will see it. 
And uh, thanks, Ryan. See yeah. you later. Fun book. Recommend For it. Sure. Read it. Definitely. Can't recommend it highly enough. I'm going to have to do end of the year awards, and I, I feel like this one's already going to win. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you later. Bye.